With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Would you like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. I listen to morning with the sun up. I'm busy. WBZ News Radio 1030. I tune my radio to him. 10.30 The radio's all yours now. I talked to a man whose name is Bradley J. Improved my mind in a wonderful way. I just called in to see what condition conversation was in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Beasy, here we go. We're Jay talking live midnight to five. Some time ago, I was cruising through the internet and found an article uh, reminding me that the uh, market basket strike was about five years old. Remember that? That was quite a thing with a happy ending. So I want to actually speak to Grant Wilker, who's the news editor for the Worcester Business Journal, and he wrote that article and kind of take us all back to that. And if you were around here during that time. Tell us about what you remember, what your involvement might have been. Did you join the boycott? Did you go tape your receipts from other stores on the market basket windows to show them how much money they were losing? First, let's get to know Grant Welker. How do you do, Grant? I'm doing well, Bradley. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yep, absolutely. Tell me about you. Well, you covered it a little bit. Uh, um, I'm a news editor now for the Worcester Business Journal, and I covered the Market Basket story five years ago as a uh, as a reporter for the Lowell Sun. Tell me about the Worcester Business Journal a little bit. Sure. Well, we cover central Massachusetts and uh, so Worcester County and Metro West. It's like a million person area, and there's a, you know it's centered on Worcester, of course. There's always a lot going on with the colleges. We have, I uh, don't need to probably tell you, the Pawtucket Red Sox moving here in a few years. So there's a new ballpark going up. And uh, there's a lot going on. And uh, I always love covering business. And, uh, are you from these, uh, these, this area? Stories we could have. Are you from this area? Yes, I grew, up, I grew up in Plymouth, South Shore. All right. So let's get to the Market Basket story. Tell me the story first in the most brief, in, the, in a paragraph, like the headline, and we'll We'll take it sure, yeah. If people need a refresher. I know it's already been five years. Um, so people might remember there's Arthur T. DeMoulis is the beloved CEO of Market Basket. So he was fired. Uh, it was in, in June of 2014, and it took a little bit of time for people to kind of figure out what they wanted to do to try to bring him back. And as they thought, save the company, save Market Basket as they knew it. And eventually, workers decided they would walk out. They would demand Arthur T. back. And in a short period of time, shoppers joined them virtually unanimously. And it went from something that looked very unlikely, like since when can employees decide 
who their boss is, who the CEO of their company is, to it felt like what could Market Basket even be without the employees and the shoppers? It, it was something that went from like looked as unlikely as anything to it somehow worked and it ended up being a, a really inspiring story and, and one that I thought was good to look back on, uh, you know, five years later. Absolutely. How long did it take from the time they got rid of Arthur T to, to winning the strike? So until the end. So it was about six weeks from employees walking out and, uh, Arthur T getting the company back. It felt like it was like six months, but it was actually only like six weeks. It was from the time he was fired that June, it was the end of August when he got the company back. So it was really like a, a summer long uh, event and, uh, you know, really dominated the news throughout, you know, Massachusetts and a bit beyond. Now I'm hoping you can go deep into the, the history of the, of market basket with the, the two, Initial, the founders, with names that I have difficulty pronouncing, and I'll, I'll let you do. And then you had Telemachus and George, and then you had Arthur T. Can we go into the history? So the the family tree. Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna try to <laughs> pronounce the names either because I can't remember at this point. But so Market Basket though is. 102 years old. So it was founded by Arthur T's grandparents. They opened one little store. It was called Demolish Market, right in the center of Lowell. And it was kind of slow going for a little while until the second generation took over. And that was uh, Telemachus Demolis, known as Mike. That's Arthur T's father, and George Demolis, uh, Arthur S's father, and Arthur T and Arthur S. Uh, the similarly named cousins and uh, and fierce rivals, uh, both named after um, after uh, men in their family uh, through family tradition, and it was really uh, <laughs> it, it was something that this well the company's always been really beloved in the Lowell and the Merrimack Valley and, and beyond, but it also became for a while it was kind of an ugly story about family infighting and a power struggle. And that, that kind of spanned uh, the second and third generations up until and kind of through the story of five years ago with, with Arthur T and Arthur S struggling for uh, a majority stake. And it was Arthur S's side. So Arthur S is, um, was kind of the bad side as the public saw it five years ago uh, when they took over a majority share they fired Arthur T. They cited, um, they said he was content to let profit margins stay low and they, he wasn't giving proper due uh, to the board of directors that were his boss. But of course, as other people saw it, it wasn't uh, about what Arthur T was in the boardroom. It was what he brought and what Market Basket brought to, to the public beyond and what it meant to work there and to shop there. Uh, it's a lot to sum up a hundred years, you know, but it is. So as <laughs> I understand try. it, and it is complicated as I understand it, Telemachus and George, is that how you say it? Telemachus? I'm thinking, That's right. Okay. Yep. It was Telemachus and George and George died. Telemachus went on to run the company and sort of take care of George's family. But one day, uh, Evan, is it a, me a member on Evan? So right, George's right. Yeah, side so Evan, got, got uh, a, 
thing in the mail from the IRS or got contacted by the IRS about some stock sale that he didn't know anything about. And so then they looked into things further and found out that they did not have the amount of percentage of the company that they thought. That's how they sort of found out, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, so it was uh, Evan DeMullis. You're right. Arthur S.'s uh, uh, now deceased brother got a notice from the IRS about um, about company stock that he sold, and he thought, I don't remember selling any company stock. So he and Arthur S. were digging through, and they eventually found out that the 50-50 split that the two brothers, well, their father and his brother, so so George and Tomicus and their respective families uh, had once. It wasn't 50-50 anymore. Uh, George's heirs were actually uh, in ownership of 8%. So they were under the impression and, they had uh, half the company, but they did not. They only had 8%. They were, right. So their their father's, their late father's brother, brother their uncle, continued by all accounts to to look over his late brother's heirs to care for them as as relatives, but in the meantime, uh, they argued, and the court eventually found, after many appeals and many years and uh, lots of headlines, that that yeah, Arthur T.'s father had defrauded uh, his late brother's heirs out of hundreds of millions of dollars in in revenue and in stock in this company, and it got really ugly. There was a case where uh, one day, and, and uh, I believe it was Arthur T.'s father was testifying, where Arthur T. even punched his cousin in the middle of the courtroom. This was a case where, you know, up until 2014, if you were someone who wasn't an everyday shopper or a regular shopper or a worker at Market Basket, you might have known this just as like this ugly soap opera of a story. And you know, through that backdrop, you can see where once Arthur S. and his side got control back of the family, why Arthur T. had fears that he was going to be fired. And so I will quickly explain that wrinkle as well. As we have to, as how demolished. long do you think that will take, like 60 seconds or two minutes? Cause I, can... I will do 60 seconds. All right. Cause... Right? So Go ahead. Evan DeMoss dies soon afterwards. His widow gets about 4% of the company that he owned. She inherited it. Right. And she decided in 2013 that she would vote with Arthur S.'s side after having previously voted with Arthur T.'s side. Lots of speculation why, whether she wanted to cash out and whether the company was going to be run differently or sold off. Anyway, whatever the reason is, she never told me, um, she decided to go with Arthur S. He got majority control, and they fired Arthur T. And it started this whole huge, uh, crazy story five years ago. Excellent. And now we have the background, and we'll get into the the actual event. But I pre and I appreciate you setting up the background so well. Can you give me a pretty detailed version of what happened, maybe day to day, week to week, anyway, uh, as events roll out? Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it, it's something like, um, you know, it, it can sound like hyperbole or, or, or cliche to, to say like a, a particular story is unlike any other, but there's something that this fits this. If it fits that, if anything does, uh, you know, no one could find a case where employees and shoppers rallied to get the head of a company back. Uh, essentially, the workers saying, 
we will not return until Arthur T. DeMoulis is back as CEO. And there were two CEOs, uh, co-CEOs, who replaced Arthur T. And people thought it was kind of funny that it took two people to replace one Arthur T. Um, and, of course, they and, and the board that was affiliated with Arthur S. DeMoulis held out as long as they could, even when it looked like the company could be going under. And, of course, it was a private company, and we don't know what their finances were. But by all appearances, it looked it looked almost like a game of chicken, I think, where you felt like the new ownership at that point did not, under any circumstances, want to give the company back to the man they just fired. And, of course, the employees and the shoppers were not about to go back to things as they were and, and as they saw it kind of give up what Market Basket was. If, if you work there, people talk about feeling like they're part of a family and they get profit sharing and bonuses and they inevitably talk about having met Arthur T, it seems like in every case. And if you're shoppers, people love going there because you can always find employees there to answer a question. It seems like every checkout aisle is full with someone scanning and someone bagging your groceries. There's always someone there to maybe help run out groceries to your car or, or, or um, you know, load everything into your trunk. Sounds like a great, ex- it's just Those a great experience that- because the, the people that were setting the tone there were a family and it had that feel. Exactly. And, to be at those rallies, it, it felt both like a, a positive experience, like people were just going to go there to, to have that feeling of togetherness. But there was also certainly a lot of anger, feeling like they were fighting against corporate greed, where there are so few companies that could be deep into a third generation like Market Basket is, uh, have hit the century mark still be family owned and run and they were feeling like that was slipping away stop and shop shaw's hannaford you name it these are companies that all used to be family run and owned they're not anymore and market basket's still based in tuxbury it's still close here and, and people felt like they would do anything to hold on to that to to Someone like me who was following it so closely, I felt like it, these people are crazy for walking out, putting their job on the line to get their boss back. But to, the, to many of them that I talked to, they felt like it actually, it wasn't crazy at all because if Market Basket were to become like working at any of those competitors, that job would not have been worth going back to anyway, which sounds um, maybe like uh, an overstatement. But to them, it felt like, yes, Market Basket really is that different. How did Arthur T. take it, getting fired? What was his reaction? Do you know? Did you talk to him? You must have. <laughs> we, uh, not through that summer. And you know what's what's ironic, I think, is this whole summer, the, the one name you heard most often was Arthur T., of course. And we never saw or heard from him until afterwards, until he got the company back. And uh, he, at least certainly in the public eye, kept his distance. And, uh, you know, I remember that morning after he reached a deal to get the company back and he was back at at Tewksbury headquarters and talking about 
uh, feeling love for his workers and for the customers. And um, it, it wasn't about, um, it, it was never in his eyes and many, you talk to so much about like, they're, they're not talking about changing capitalism or these larger ideals or, you know, the 99% versus the 1%, you know, Occupy Wall Street was just a few years before that. It was just about like, the love they felt for Market Basket, for the company, and for each other. You hear the family name so often in this case, and they just felt like they, they were glad to have that back. They were eager to get back to work. And in the five years since, they have seemingly just been kind of cruising along and, and doing as well or better than ever. Who lined up to side with Arthur T. and the and the employees? Who in government, Which what luminaries were vocal on behalf of the strike? Sure. Well, it was a lot of public officials uh, uh, in Lowell and in the Merrimack Valley area, um, uh, city councilors, state representatives. Uh, very notably, uh, Deval Patrick, who was the governor of Massachusetts at the time, and Maggie Hassan, who was the governor of New Hampshire at the time, um, stayed on the sidelines, both feeling like this wasn't something for them to get involved with. For the more local uh, elected officials, I, I think they were really eager to uh, pick up on a popular cause with uh, so much of the public. Uh, but I think it really is worth mentioning that, you know, that for the two governors, um, both that they felt like they wanted to stay out because they saw this as a private company in a family business dispute in which they had no rightful role. But then they felt like, okay, well, this is getting out of hand <laughs> because as the weeks went along that summer, eventually Market Basket's new ownership decided they would reduce a lot of employees' hours to zero or effectively zero. So in, in the eyes of Maggie Hassan, and I, I reconnected with her and Deval Patrick uh, this summer, they both felt like eventually they had to bring an end to this because so many people's livelihoods were being hurt, whether it was through their own initiative, wanting to stand up for Arthur T and for Market Basket, or whether they were kind of caught in the crossfire, so to speak, or maybe they were employees who are rather shoppers who wanted to go to Market Basket for fresh groceries, uh, fresh produce, affordable groceries, but couldn't do so. And both of the governors felt like in sitting down with Arthur T and Arthur S and their respective teams that they had to reach an agreement as that summer was coming to a close or else the whole company, as, as far as they could tell, could have gone under. And it was really that close. And, and a lot of people I was talking to at that point saying like uh, that that daily question of how much longer could this company really hold on? And I've invited you to call and participate in Gary and Woburn's the first. Gary, how you doing? Good to hear from you. I always look forward to hearing from Gary and Woburn. Well, I'm actually going to blow you away in positivity right now, Bradley. Uh, to your guest, what is your name again, please? Grant Welker. Grant Welker? Okay, very good. I got to tell you, not only am I enjoying this conversation right now, because it's, it's historical for our area, because this uh, store, obviously a supermarket, it just, uh, it just kicks butt. The prices are just incredible. We can talk about customer service all day long, but I want to go back to DeMoules for a moment, okay? That's the last name, DeMoules, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, when 
the strike was over. I don't know if you guys know this. And to uh, Grant, here we go. When the strike was over, this is an incredible thing. Nobody, nobody will ever remember it. Only me. That's why I'm very unusual. That's why I have no friends. <laughs> here we go. Ready? Yes. They did for one month straight. I don't know if it was every location, but at least the one store I went to, one month. And where I'm a single guy, I bought $200 in the best bread, bread, that you eat bread, available. Because why? The whole month, they put out a sign to an appreciation to our customers throughout the whole month of November. This is five years ago. We're going to have all bread at half price. And I distributed it to all kinds of family and friends, dropping out being a big spender because I'm a single guy. How about that? Wasn't that a great thing that Market Basket did? Yes. You bought uh, $200 worth of bread? In a month's time, and I just distributed it to all kinds of friends wow. and family and so forth on the house. Grant, what do you think? What a good guy. Gary from Woburn. Yeah, you are a good it's great. guy. <laughs> it's good here. And good for Market Basket in the first place. Um, <laughs> one, one good deed begets another. Gary, what kind of bread did you buy? Did you buy just white bread? Did you to buy everything you could get your hands on? Oh, you just name it. I mean, uh, they had a, a coffee cup. Uh, it's a title called Coffee Cup uh, Bread. Uh, of course, you got Wonder there out there, but I can't even think of everything. But they also had Portuguese bread that was like three dollars, and they were selling it like it's a big gigantic roll, and it was only a dollar fifty. And then you got the the leading brands out there that go as much as four dollars and fifty cents. I was buying it for two twenty five, and I was distributing to everybody I know. So, oh my God, it's so nice of you, like this, like that. And I just said, oh my God. I mean, what? I mean, I mean you ever seen nobody Gladiator? Yes. Okay. I mean, what are they throwing to the audience before the thing, like in celebration? Demoulis bread. Bread? <laughs> Demoulis bread. <laughs> hey, Gary, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. How effective was the strike in crippling the company? How, how much did the, the revenues go down? Did you get a handle on that? It was about 90%. For that summer so it was so effective it was almost too effective and <laughs> bring bringing the company possibly like to the brink of insolvency as far as we could tell um and how about the the logistics of, of things like um the deliveries did the deliveries did they block deliveries or did they just stop buying and the people didn't deliver what can you tell me about that it, kind of it thing? Was a, it was a bit of both. So you had a lot of warehouse workers walked off. They were the first or among the first to do so. The new management eventually brought in some replacement workers, and there were some uh, instances of, of uh, comic relief that summer among uh, warehouse workers who didn't quite know how things worked there uh, in terms of tripping alarms or putting – produce and non-refrigerated trucks if i remember right yeah so you'd have some you'd have some things going out some things not it was always funny because I, I made a point as often as i could that summer to go into different stores just see what was going on where you'd have uh you'd have no fresh produce you'd have no nothing in the bread aisle you'd have no meats fish etc because that stuff of course would go after a day or two yeah. but then you'd have the non-perishables that would uh, just sit and languish because there was no one there to shop. So I remember uh, taking a picture at one point. It was one of my favorite uh, scenes, favorite anecdotes was 
nothing in the whole produce aisle except for a little display of boxes of croutons <laughs> because the croutons will certainly last long enough. There was no one there to buy it. And it was really weird that like, you know, you walk around a market basket in those days and there were, there was nobody in there. So the sound like the music is still playing. So it echoes in there. And I remember running into some kids and uh, the Drake at or, uh, the Lowell Drake store that um, talking about, they were just going there because they thought it was so crazy that it was like a, an apocalyptic world. Yeah. And so, that there was nobody there. It felt like, you know, was this like what shopping there on a Christmas day would be like where there's just nobody there, but it was the middle of like a, a normal weekday. I think I remember some luminaries, some semi-famous people getting in trouble for shopping there and kind of break, busting the strike. Or they, and I think they said, "Well, I needed to get." Ooh, I pres- pres- did they have a pharmacy there at Demolis? No. Okay, I'm trying to figure out why it I was about luminaries. No, maybe it's my so, maybe I, my memories. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Gone south. I I mean, I do remember, you know, so there were some people who would still shop there. um, And in some cases, people who don't have the financial means or the transportation to go to, say, a stop and shop. And, you know, again, I I made a point to go to a lot of those stores that summer, and it's not like they were hassled for going into continuing to shop there. At one point, I went to the, if anybody knows the Chelmsford market basket is right across the street from a stop and shop. There was a guy who came up to a, a little display table where they were collecting signatures for a petition. And the guy had been on vacation. He said, um, what do I, what's going on? <laughs> and uh, he said, well, what, what's best for, for you guys? What should I do? And they said, it's actually best if you go somewhere else, shop somewhere else. So the guy went back in his car and he went across the street and stopped at shop at Stop and Shop. And I thought it was a great illustration of how people not only just sided with Market Basket in general and with its employees, but they just felt like they wanted to do whatever they could to chip in. And and the time since then, I've always found that you talk to employees, they just kind of want to say, hey, it was all for Arthur T. or it was all for the shoppers. If you talk to the shoppers, they say, oh, I just so love, I love what Market Basket is. I love the same names and faces I see every time I'm there. And everyone just kind of deflects credit onto others, and they're just sort of happy to play their own role. There's, there's so few stories that are both inspiring. How many big news stories are there that are inspiring at the end? True. Uh, practically none. That's and true. how many of them does almost not not literally everybody but there's so many market basket shoppers across the boston metro area market basket is the market leader how many stories are there where everyone among those people play a small role in the conclusion of that story yeah it is a great case story by by walking out and, and shopping elsewhere so i have dennis and lowell it, it is really dennis and lowell wants to say hi make a comment hi dennis Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Dennis. I had to get, I'd say hi hey, to Grant Welker. Hello, Grant. Um, oh, yeah. Good. No, I'm like a 60-year customer of uh, Demoulis Market Basket. It was personal. It was a matter of loyalty. I mean, uh, uh, start, you know, I knew uh, Miss uh, Telemachus Demoulis, Mike Demoulis, and uh, they reinvested 
you know, in the city of Lowell, they reinvested in their employees. As you mentioned the Lowell prices, but they had profit sharing for the employees. They had Christmas bonuses. Uh, they were the, the very, very loyal people. And um, I'll just tell you about the numerous charity donations that they never wanted publicized. And that they'd give money to local organizations, and they'd say, don't tell anyone. I'll give you two stories. Once a Little League organization asked for like $500. He gave them $5,000. A local church needed a new roof. He gave them $80,000. Don't tell anybody. That's what he'd say. Don't tell anybody. But the, they were just great to the employees. Arthur T. DeMoulis would go around. He knew the names of most of his employees. And if somebody had a problem, he'd try to help them out. And it was just, like I say, it was very, very personal. And as you mentioned, during the six, six weeks, Arthur T. never made an appearance. <laughs> but even his top executives, they all sided with Arthur T. They gave up big salaries. Local businesses whose primary source of revenue was Demoulis stopped delivering their products. It was universal. Oh, that's a great call, Dennis. Thank you. Absolutely right. How yeah, before you go business. before you yeah. go are they just you know just as good as they were before are they are, is business booming? Oh, is it, totally. Is, is but the, I'm telling you, they expected their employees to work hard and be well dressed, no sloppy everything. Be very courteous and be very helpful. And like you know, many local high school kids, they employed them and you know and uh, and showed them discipline at work. No, it's just a, a great great organization, and they you know. They paid for the work produced. Excellent, Dennis. Thank you very much. Good call. Great call. Well, we have time for, I hope, a couple more questions before we wrap up, Grant. And uh, we'll do that after this on WBZ. We keep losing the radio. What's it look like? A radio? What? Not so big, green with numbers, lots of knobs. We'll have the radio blast and tune in Bradley J on BZ till dawn. Bradley J. J Talking. WBZ News Radio 1030. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Would you put the radio on? Sure. I'm coming up to talk. He wants to talk. Let's see what he has to say. Let's turn into a radio show. It's a beautiful night. Oh, what a night. I love this place at night. Jay talking with Bradley Jay. There's no wrong in him. WBZ News Radio 1030. That's right. It's WBZ. We're talking about the, it's kind of a five-year look back on the Market basket strike and the victorious uh, effort to return the store to its uh, beloved boss, Arthur T. And a, f- a question for our guest, Grant Welker, news editor for the business, Worcester Business Journalist, who did an article on, on, you know, five years out. So the company never became a public company, right? That's right. Yep, always family owned. See, that's why this kind of thing can happen. If there were shareholders, that this would never happen, and that's why it's sad that there aren't more privately owned companies. Privately owned companies, the ownership can be good, whereas in publicly owned companies, they cannot because they are legally 
bound to do what is financially in the best interest of the shareholders, not what's good or right. And in some cases, what's good or right would be illegal. And just need to say it. That is maybe the, the biggest problem with, you know, our world today. I mean, let's go to Ernie in New Hampshire. Ernie, hi. Hi, Bradley. Hey, Ernie. Hi, Grant. Hey, hey Ernie, uh, how are you? Hi, Grant. Uh, I got a uh, I remember uh, going in, going to strike, walking into the Drakett store, and I was the only person in the store. It was like I was in the Twilight Zone. How come you went to the store just to see it? Or yeah, you... I, I needed something. I was in the, I was in, you know, I was in I was in that shopping center. Yeah. And I figured, hey, I'd go. You know, the store was open. There were there were protesters outside, but I walked in, and like I said, it was a pretty pretty strange feeling. Did they give you a hard time for going in? Uh, not not really, no. And uh, let me give you a quick story. I went to school with the um, the Moolis kids at Drake at High. They were they were they were they were good people. And I'll give a quick story about the uh, the found the uh, father that founded the store, Bradley yep. and Grant. They had a little variety store in the Acre section of Lowell, which was a Greek section of Lowell. And they it was basically a little variety store, and they had a sign in the window, fresh. Um, you know, uh, fresh um, oh, uh, lamb, right? Did they sell lamb? Yeah, fresh lamb. They would. They had a farm in Drake. It. They. They would kill. You know, they would. They would raise the uh, lambs, kill them, and bring them in every day. To, you know, or a couple of times a week. And they had. You know, I remember seeing a picture of the store. Excellent. So they, you know, yes, right that here. was the beginning of Demolices. Excellent story, Ernie. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care, brother. Yeah. Ernie in New Hampshire. Uh, anything else? I guess what's the what's the big lesson to all this before we wrap up? Or is there anything you want to say? How did you, you know, sure. with, with your article? What was your? Here's the lesson. Boy, it's it's hard to. It, it, well, it's hard to put in on, on one thing. Uh, you kind of got to it, and we've covered it before with you know the the caller mentioning the charitable efforts as well is, is certainly worth mentioning, and again that. There's a lot of company. I've gotten it as a as a journalist where you get press releases for companies saying, "Oh, you know, we donated X amount to this um, foundation," and certainly any charitable efforts are laudable. But in Market Basket's case, yes, he's right, and in the Demolis family's case, um, they never sought out, and in fact, would try their best to hide efforts that they gave donating to so many schools, uh, hospitals, churches. Uh, in the Lowell area and beyond. And, and that's really uh, certainly worth mentioning. And I've always thought that, um, you know, as you mentioned before, with public companies or just larger companies in general, I I've never expected that the Market Basket story was going to convince, say, Stop and Shop or Walmart or somebody else to change the way they do things, to give up um, some of their profits back to employees or back to shoppers. I've always thought that undoubtedly there was a young worker at Market Basket either five years ago or today, or there's someone who's learning about this in business school or anybody else learning about the story, uh, someone who, who will inevitably run their own business someday. And it's not likely that it's going to be at the scale or the longevity of Market Basket, but they will remember what it was like to either work at Market Basket or to read about it, a place where they felt like 
they belonged, where they were valued, and they're a part of, yes, a, a family. And they can pass that on and be a little bit of like that Arthur T. type of person to somebody else. And we may not know if that's the case for years, maybe decades, and to see what was Market Basket's legacy. And I know five years is not a particularly long time to kind of look back, but you know, you look at as I mentioned in uh, it was a, a, a three-part uh, series this summer, looking at you know what are, what are the the company's challenges ahead too with going from a third generation to a fourth, or how do they compete with technology as a company that um, kind of shuns technology for personal connections? Um, right. Maybe it's so a, certainly maybe a lot the more lesson the story is that, going ahead. Maybe the lesson is that technology it cannot provide the thing that people really desire is that a connection you have a book on I think uh, in this case they can't you have a book called we are market basket i just found that out tell me about that that's right yep um i i, I co-wrote it uh with daniel corshin he's a, a business professor at drexel university in philadelphia we connected um early in the early days of the story and uh, we wrote about it published it about a year later and it looks at all of this, um, going back to 100 years ago, with the the start of the company and um, how everything worked that summer and kind of looking at the business applications as, as we've discussed them, kind of what it, who does own a company? You know, is it, um, of course, technically the shareholders own a company, whether it's public or private. But in this case, Market Basket showed us that, like, the people who owned Market Basket really, truly were... The people, everybody, everybody, the shop, all the shoppers, all the employees. There is a lot to be learned, both in um, how I, I've said. You know, you can you can have a really ugly relationship <laughs> with family members that you are running a company with. Not that you should strive for that, of course, but that doesn't have to get in the way of doing the right thing for your employees and for your shoppers. And Market Basket showed that if you have the right ideals in taking care of the people, they in turn will, as they say, take care of you. And that's all what has brought the company to not only three generations and a century in, in history, but but to still be family-owned. Thank you very and much. be so uh, popular. All the best to you. And uh, the book is available sure. on Amazon, I'm guessing? It is, yep. All right. Thank you, Grant Welker, news editor for the Worcester Business Journal. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.